Hello, thank you for joining us. This is the third of four episodes recorded live at the University of Melbourne's Living Pavilion as part of this year's Art Plus Climate Equals Change 2019 Festival by Climart. It's a conversation between the Climate Bites program director, Renee Beal, and the founder of sustainable fashion company, Hara Ali Cameron. I'd like to apologize for the recording quality of this episode, as there was a feedback issue happening with the sound system at the venue but this conversation was just too good to not pass on to you. The story of Hara is amazing, and we look forward to bringing you more about not only them, but more companies in the sustainable fashion world. So if you enjoyed this, and you've got a story to tell about sustainable fashion, or some contacts you'd like to get us in touch with, we'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks, and enjoy. Hello, my name is Bronwyn Johnson and I'm the director of Art Plus Climate Equals Change 2019 Festival, presented by Climart. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which the festival takes place and acknowledge the Wurundjeri people on whose lands the program you are about to hear was staged and recorded. Art Plus Climate Equals Change 2019 is a socially engaged festival of ideas, exhibitions and events, presenting over 30 curated exhibitions at leading museums and galleries in Melbourne and regional Victoria. The 2019 festival considers ideas and concepts around art and activism, community engagement, transition and accelerated action on climate change. In this festival, artists, curators, scientists and policy experts envisage a world where we protect and care for our Earth, from the river systems, oceans and lands, to the air we breathe. As we know, actions to reduce global warming will only arise from communities based upon fairness, Indigenous knowledge, cooperation and through valuing the arts and sciences. Let's join now with the artists, curators, scientists and policy experts through this festival program, Climate Bites, at the Living Pavilion at the University of Melbourne. Now to fashion. Dress to impress. For many of us, fashion is not a luxury but a necessity. How we dress communicates not only clues about our personality, but like it or loathe it, these visual cues are used by others to guess things like our competence, intelligence, desirability as a potential partner, and our ability to do our job. Many workplaces have dress codes. But on the flip side of this, our insatiable appetite for fast fashion is damaging our planet. Water is wasted. Synthetic dyes pollute waterways. How to ensure that when we select an item of clothing, we choose style and substance? What fabrics should we buy to ensure lower environmental footprints? Cheaper has meant higher volume and turnover. 6,000 kilograms of fashion textile waste is disposed of every 10 minutes in Australia. With the rise of recycling and buying secondhand clothing, can we mainstream the culture of altering and mending clothing rather than buying new? How can we as consumers demand to know the journey of the items we buy from design table to shop rack? To help us discover how true fashion sense embraces sustainability and ethical practices on this Wednesday, the 15th of May, is Ellie Cameron. Welcome, Ellie. Thank you. So Ellie Cameron is the founder of Hara, a clothing label designed for women and the earth. While travelling in India, Ali uh, first faced the environmental impact that the fashion industry is having on the planet. In response, she formed Hara to help the earth regain its power and as a platform to bring awareness and change to the fashion industry. 
before we get underway, we'd like to get to know you so that we can shape the, the, the conversation to best suit you and make it relevant to you. So who here is a student? Awesome. Designers and artists? Uh, sustainability and waste researchers, by any chance? Wish there were some. Who enjoys fashion? Excellent, lots of people. Who here today wears clothes? Everybody, great. This discussion is actually for you then. <laughs> Climactic are recording this discussion, which will be made into a podcast. To start us off, I'll ask the first question of Ali, and then if you've got a question for, for Ali, please raise your hand and, and we'll get to you. So I thought maybe we could begin by talking about some of the foundational story um, sure. of the time before Hara was actually born, just mm -hmm. to fill everyone in, in in terms of some of the watershed moments that you had whilst thinking about having maybe having your own label, but before actually creating that label. Um, and some of the some of the things you encountered, perhaps I mentioned in in my introduction about your trip to India, mm -hmm. and some of the things you encountered there, and how that's actually shaped Hara moving forward. So hello, and thank you for having me here. Um, yeah, so Hara for me began when I was 17, and I was buying and selling recycled clothing online. It was really just a hobby for me. Um, I enjoyed sort of the creative flow that um, recycled clothing gave me. And it was sort of at that point that I really started thinking about how the clothing we, we wear, um, how it impacts the world we choose to live in. And, and I felt that there was not much conversations happening about the fashion industry at that time. And it was very much, I, f I could feel that there was uh, a lot of damage happening yet no one was talking about it and so I knew at that point that it was something I wanted to explore further with in my life and so that was at 17 and then I moved to Melbourne from New Zealand where I was born and started thinking again um, about the fashion industry and what do what does sustainable fashion even mean and after some research, uh, watching the true cost, I decided to go to India to explore um, the cotton industry and to see if that was going to be my answer to sustainable fashion. And so when I was there, I talked to a lot of cotton farmers um, and a lot of people in the uh, clothing manufacturing industry there. And what I found was that there was hardly any regulations happening, especially around organic cotton. And um, there was a lot of waste there was a lot of waste going into the waterways. Um, there was no sort of processes or any action sort of happening to, to change this. So I came back from India and really felt like organic cotton wasn't sort of my answer. I then ended up in Bali where I was introduced to a natural dye house, which I at that point didn't even know on a large commercial scale, didn't like even existed. And so for me to discover that, was like a big aha moment for me because I knew that synthetic dyes were having such a dramatic impact on the environment and that there was no way I could create a sustainable label and use synthetic dyes. Um, it just wouldn't make sense. And so um, I also got introduced to bamboo fabric. So the combination of bamboo fabric and, and natural dyes sort of became our recipe for 
to build a sustainable clothing label. Um, bamboo, especially in China, is is their sustainable solution at the moment for the increase in development and production because with the same amount of output, it uses less land, less water, less chemicals. And also you don't need to, when you are harvesting it, you don't need to pull it out from the roots. So there's no soil erosion. And there's also 35% more oxygen released with bamboo than, than standard trees. So the cultivation of bamboo, along with the way that it's made and the way it comes out was, for us, it was sort of, it was no brainer that that was um, where we wanted to head. Does anyone have any questions before I jump in and ask more questions? I can ask more questions. <laughs> <laughs> Let's sort of narrow in on, on some of the things that you said. So you said you, ha you had no idea about the synthetic dyes mm -hmm. and how much damage they were doing mm -hmm. and then discovered the um, natural dyes that mm -hmm. you now use. Yeah. So... I think when we were talking the other day, you were saying that actually there's a, there's a lot being um, talked about around sustainable fashion now, thanks mm -hmm. to programs like the War on Waste. People are becoming a little bit more mm -hmm. um, aware of that sort of stuff. But the synthetic dye thing is, is actually a really big issue that perhaps isn't spoken about as much. Yeah, for sure. Um, natural dyes is definitely a new concept in terms of mainstream fashion and synthetic dyes um, there's a town in China where um, Greenpeace have gone in and, and said that the, there is no drinkable water in that town um, because of the the wastage because of the the synthetic dye waste going into the waterways and uh, I see more and more now sustainable labels coming out but the sort of conversation about um, the conversation about fabrics is definitely there. The conversation about the dye process, I think, is still um, something to be challenged on and something that um, definitely has room for improvement. What I found is in, in a lot of the natural dye houses around, there are a lot of uh, water filtra filtration systems um, so that the, the water is, is, in a totally is totally recycled. Whereas, especially in a few that I saw in India, those practices are just, are just not there. So I, I noticed the other day when I was in you know, places like Kathmandu and those sort of places, mm -hmm. they're starting to jump on the natural dye angle as well. So Amazing. perhaps that's, you know, hopefully that will move the conversation you know, forward as well from that perspective. There was a question from the audience about what part of the bamboo plant actually gets used to create Hara's products. The bamboo, it's the bamboo pulp is extracted from the plant. And so there's a few different ways that bamboo can get made. Bamboo can have a bad name in the environmental um, community because there is a way that it can be made where it is very highly chemical intensive to break down the pulp to um, a cellulose, which is like a, like a sludge, which then goes through the tiniest, the tiniest hole and the, the reaction between the cellulose and the water with the chemical creates a hard thread, which then gets dried out. But there is a process which is the viscose bamboo, which uses a lot of chemicals to break it down and there is no recycling or closed loop, which means the waste is just going back into the earth. Um, we use the process called lyocell bamboo, which is a closed loop system. There is less than 1% byproduct from this system and um, it uses an organic solvent, which is on the same level as a dishwashing liquid. That makes the process uh, for us sustainable. Also compared to cotton, where 
cotton also needs um, chemical processes in it to to um, create the fabric from the plant to the to the um, to the thread. So, yeah, it's really like uh, we get challenged a lot on on bamboo, which I think is amazing because it should be challenged because labels, you know, they don't need a right when you're buying bamboo. You don't need to state what process your bamboo happened. Our bamboo and someone else's bamboo is just written as bamboo on the pieces of clothing you wouldn't you wouldn't know. So it's really important that customers really challenge the companies that are stating that they're um, selling these fabrics. Um, really challenge them on you know how it is actually getting made. And usually, it can be as easy as going onto their websites and just checking because if if they knew about bamboo and cared about the sustainability of their products, um, they would definitely be stating it on their website. There were some fantastic questions about labeling and certification processes, but unfortunately that distortion was a bit too much. So coming back into it now after that issue was fixed, the question all about what Instagram has done to the fashion industry. Instagram especially is an amazing platform at the moment for these conversations to be had. I feel like there's a lot of information, a lot of detailed information getting spread on this topic and it's very easy to find once once you can find, you know, communities of sustainable fashion on there and it's easy to find um, the right path to go in terms of brands and, and, and people to um, sort of follow and, and listen to. Yeah, social media for us was um, one of the biggest things when starting Hara that I that I think was so needed in the fashion industry was awareness and education. You know, just having conversations like this um, is what creates the movement and, and, and is what gives power to people to feel like they can be a part of the change too. There are words that just get used as marketing campaign, mm -hmm. you know, things like natural and ethical mm -hmm. and things like that don't, don't, they don't actually have any regulation around yeah. them. So people can use buzzwords, but when you're on something like Instagram, yeah. it's pretty obvious when people are not sincere or don't have the right story to tell. Yeah. So for sure. good advice. Someone in the crowd, I think he was an American guy with the podcast asked about how the fashion industry now seems to have more seasons than weeks of the year. Traditionally, fashion was two seasons, and now it's changed to 50 seasons per year, um, which is massive. And that's, that's created this sort of culture of needing something new and constantly bombarded with, you know, a new trend, a new, um, which I think is contributing to um, the increase in consumption. In terms of us, when we entered into the market, we came at a time where the conversations were beginning, people were ready to be a part of sustainable fashion. And so when we, when we came, it, we, the feedback we, that we got was like, finally, like that's sort of the, what was, what was felt was that finally there was a space for people to have this conversation about sustainable fashion and to be able to support a label that is, is trying to be different. Yeah, we really felt that um, people were tired of the same sort of fashion story, the, the fast fashion, the generic models, um, that whole sort of pack. And um, yeah, we have had nothing but support the whole time as soon as we, we entered, which has been amazing and just shows that everyone is so ready to be a part of the movement and to like get away from what it's always been. Apologies to Renee Beale for having to cut her question here. She asked it very well, but the interference is just a bit too much. So 
To paraphrase here what Renee asks to build on that previous answer, Renee brought up the fact that a lot of fashion companies start with the best of intentions, but as the needs grow to turn a profit and get a healthy margin, standards can tend to start to slip. Which is great. How are you ensuring that when you're scaling up, you're doing that in a sustainable and ethical way? Yes, yeah, so um, that was very challenging for us. We, so we started out in Bali. We were producing there for a year. And over that year, we had like a lot of growth. And what we started realizing as we were sort of scaling up that if we wanted to authentically create a sustainable, ethical clothing label, it was not gonna, that was not gonna happen in Bali. Um, we were losing control over waste and over sort of the, the workers and their conditions and how many actual people were involved in each garment. Um, that was becoming harder and harder for us to keep a handle on. And also our carbon footprint on producing in Bali, shipping to Australia, then shipping internationally. So we, a year ago, decided to move everything um, to Melbourne and basically start again. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so, yeah, we basically started from, like, nothing and decided that this time around we're going to... Um, we're going to build on stronger foundations. Yeah, over the past year, we have been working on building our natural dye house production and packaging and fulfillment all under the one roof in Melbourne. And this means that we're able to like pr reduce our wastage by nearly 50%. We know exactly how every garment is getting made and by who it's getting made, made by. Just even the simple down to like, knowing that they are okay, you know, and that everyone in the supply chain is getting empowered by being a part of it. Um, no one is sort of at a loss. So we're still importing, we import our bamboo from China. Um, that is, uh, we do have um, projects ahead where we want to, first step would be, um, instead of importing the fabric, we import the lyocell thread and we get it weaved here. And then the next stage is that there's actually a bamboo farm up in Queensland. Their byproduct is the pulp that we would use for our fabric. So we are hoping that um, in the near future, we would create the technology in Australia, which would allow us to then get their byproduct and turn that into fabric, which would then make us, yeah, 100% in Australia. I think it's fantastic that you found, you know, in the future, perhaps you've got uh, a company in Queensland that their byproduct is the product you need. Yeah. And so not only are you creating a sustainable company for yourself, but you're mm -hmm. actually helping them to become sustainable as well by, you know, doing something with their waste that they can't do at yeah. the moment. That's really important. So my question is around, so are you doing things around sort of more closing the loop? So when people have kind of worn out their Hara mm -hmm. item. Um, are there things that you're doing at that end as well? Yeah, so at the moment um, we are experimenting with worm farms. People come back to us and they say, worn the bra to death, we can't really wear it anymore, what do I do with it? Um, we've got them to send it back to us and put it in the worm farm and watch their worms eat it <laughs> and turn it into compost. <laughs> so um, that's, it's, it's funny because there is this connection, there is this sort of difficulty I come across between um, design and sustainability because making bras I get a lot of people asking me about you know adjust we don't make adjustable straps purely because it won't biodegrade 
there's like we've had to make sort of sacrifices in design so we can't have the perfect bra for everyone because it won't be sustainable. Excellent. So I know of um, there's a few scientists are kind of getting on board with some of some of the kind of trying to close the loop around waste in the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. I love material scientists to death. I think they're they've and chemists particularly because they've got a particular view of the world that is it's all just Adam's baby it doesn't matter what it is today it could be something else tomorrow you know and I I love that idea um quite aside from you know some of the industrial processes maybe need a little bit of work uh, Mm -hmm. in in terms of sustainability but you know there are scientists who are picking up this challenge um at the moment and so there's a there's a woman in Deakin at Deakin University actually who is looking at um gene waste Mm. from our genes so we go through an incredible amount of genes as a society obviously mm-hmm. um the material that and the fabric and the cellulose that goes into those genes mm-hmm. can be then broken up and actually used in in other things and really important mm. polymers so for her you know one of one of her projects is taking old genes that are you know no longer being worn mm-hmm. and turning them into prosthetic joints and things for mm. people to to have yeah wow um so i feel like the more the fashion industry sort of collaborates with these sort of clever people as well. Absolutely. The more different things that can happen from that and the more opportunities. So yeah. um, I wonder if, you know, obviously you're incredible at making new connections and collaborations mm. around things. Can you speak to some of the things that you would, you know, some of the types of people you would love to collaborate with but potentially, you know, haven't had the chance to do yeah, so? Yeah, um, I definitely think oh, collaboration is just the key. Um, it's been amazing for us and it enables communities to be created. Um, yeah, I love collaborating. Thank you very much, Ellie. Thank that you so amazing. much for having me. And thank you, everyone, for your wonderful questions. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media.studio.